Welcome to Tech London, a show featuring interviews with London's top creative entrepreneurs, startups, investors, design agencies, internet marketers, and freelancers that make up the Tech London online community, which mostly lives on the Slack instant messaging platform. We rotate through both hosts and guests for these interviews, so you have the chance to hear from multiple perspectives on London's tech scene. Hi, my name is Sean Winfield, and today I'm hosting the Tech London podcast, where we interview creative entrepreneurs, startups, investors, design agency, internet marketers, and freelancers. So today's topic is smart cities and 5G, and I'm super excited to be joined today by Sarah Sloman, um, who is Head of Future Mobility Partnerships at Elmatronics. Hi. Hello, and thank you very much, Gosh, to be introduced in such high regard with the likes of entrepreneurs. is is quite an honour. Super, super. So uh, um, I know we've spoken a little bit about this before, and I know that you sit um, sit well, you know, sit well in the EV EV space and, and some smart cities stuff. So it would be super just to hear a little bit about you, and then yeah, let's 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 chat. Yeah, and thank you for having me on the Tech London Talk. Ultimately, so as the head of future mobility partnerships at Elmtronics and also Hubster, which is the software that underpins all of our charging, really important that I keep up to date with what's happening in the marketplace what other companies just like us are striving for and doing. But ultimately, what is the future landscape going to look like for our towns and cities? And how do we, as key players in that, make sure that we're helping to inform policy and planning? And then the result will be a city built for its users. And that's what I'd really like to see. Fascinating. So that we, you've summarised that really well, but there's so much more behind all of that, right? If it, if it only was that seamless. Let's kick, let's kick off with sort of where we are with things and where, where we're looking to be. Well, we've never seen anything quite like it. I think micro-mobility and connected smart cities has always been something on the horizon, something aspirational. Visions of futuristic uh, vehicles moving around a cityscape is something you'd expect to see on a futuristic movie, but that's just simply not the case now. And it takes the wonderful opportunity for somebody working in public sector to work with those in the private sector to really harness that technological advancement and opportunity to copy other cities, not just in Europe, but around the world, and almost cherry pick from what we're seeing coming forward from entrepreneurs and designers and tech companies that can really unlock that, what I find interesting, the e-mobility piece. So zero tailpipe emissions in the cities, pedestrian prioritisation, an interest in uptake of public transport. So people not even wanting to utilise vehicles for themselves as individuals but being perfectly willing to hire or share so it's kind of interwoven with that cultural shift of being prepared to share and not wanting to own anymore we don't own our phones and more and more people are willing to lease rather than own or buy so we see this translate really well into the transport sector people are very keen to understand how they can move around faster cheaper and now cleaner and greener too so my dreams have all come true. And I think there's been some really key triggers along the way, not least of all governmental changes, having prioritised cycle investment and infrastructure comes yes. hand in hand with that. But it's often the case that when there's a big road building budget announcement, a lot of people wince and worry that that's going to mean an issue for uh, sustainable transport. But actually, mm. often is the opposite of that. Often because implementation of sustainable transport is very affordable and a good benefit cost ratio and um, benefit cost ratio score per capita 
we see that there's often an offshoot of investment purely for walking and cycling, or in this case, for things like e-scooters or e-bus lanes um, and mm. clever curbside charging, I think will be the next big thing that the consumer will see. Yes, definitely, because um, you're right, we, we have a very sort of um, conformed thinking or things pop into our head when someone says, oh, yes, a new road or a new new system or new whatever. And we're like, oh, no, that's really scary. How will that impact me? And it's just going to be noisy and cause more pollution. And actually, we do need to build and make to to make way f- to be able to do more of what we're doing, right? Yes, and sharing the space that we've got. It was often an argument that because of a lot of our cities in the UK are historic, it's often questioned, well, how could we possibly put that rapid transit system in for people because there's no room it's a hilly place or it's an old place or it's protected by really important laws that keep that culture alive but there's always a way and actually if you can flip that on its head and attract the sort of people who embrace this kind of clean modern living to live in the city then you'll find it will be embraced and profitable as well which is ultimately the key remember being very fortunate to take part in an exchange visit and we visited Utrecht so we had people from Holland and the Netherlands over to see what we were doing in the UK and vice versa so they hosted us and the one thing that I thought was particularly special about their sort of attempt at smart city was the integration of renewable energy into the buildings number one but the lack of individual car ownership was obvious number two Mm. but the benefits scheme that they offer tenants so if you live in a high density housing perhaps an apartment block you're able to have the power from the solar array on the roof. The rainwater is recycled. The basement is given over for bike storage. And there are a few car clubs, which are, of course, electric, available to hire. So what more do you need? And they're designed and built in a way that's completely connected with then 4G, would now be 5G, um, and enables that individual homeowner to take control of their own mobility and have choice. And that's the key, is connecting those choices together to make it seamless and actually a motivated choice not just I have to get the bus it's actually a better option for you anyway and that's because they've designed that city with mobility in mind and coupled it with renewable energy it's really fantastic that sounds very exciting if only we could sort of click our fingers and get to that point here and on that note I said I mean we, we spoke about this before didn't we in terms of where we are now and where we need to be and some of the barriers alongside that particularly from the sort of the positions that people are in to be able to afford to make the changes that they'd like to be to to tap into what we're doing or what we would will be doing and and at times what may be the case where people are going to potentially be sidelined from that opportunity because of the cost yes that worries me a lot um an accidental social divide really mm. and making sure that there's cost parity a comparable cost where you can directly compare an internal combustion engine vehicle, family vehicle, with the lease of an electric vehicle. Those numbers are starting to add up really favourably, not even taking into account the opportunities for smart charging where it's cheaper and cleaner on the grid. But even then, uh, we often see people who use public transport needing that as an absolute lifeline to access employment uh, or to move around socially. And so public transport simply cannot go away. That absolutely has to be the key. And I, I often use the same phrase, which is if we simply replace every single internal combustion engine with an EV, we will have in fact failed because we'll still have congestion, we'll still have public health concerns, and we'll still have cities which are clogged up just by silent, beautiful vehicles rather than polluting, noisy, expensive ones. So I really have this wonderful vision how smart cities can unlock the opportunity for clever logistics and for um, advantageous usage like through apps and push notifications and user incentivization so if you're willing 
to leave a car at home and instead perhaps take an e-scooter and you prove that you're doing all rider safety and you're wearing your helmet and your GPS knows that you've not gone on the pavement and you've not gone through the park and all of the user sort of community spirit that you're meant to have when you share an asset like a Mm. scooter or a bike or a car you should be rewarded so you finish your journey and you get 10p off the next one or a free coffee after a while and we see this almost gamification of users encouraging repeat business and uptake and eventual eventual modal shift so my vision for cities is that we have as many people as possible out of individual cars who can so that's the people that want to and who can because often people find they don't like sitting in traffic anyway and they have a new lease of life when they elect for this smart city, connected city, um, e-mobility option. And then we see them decide that they don't need a car at all. And this is really important for me in my role and in fleet, because then the streets are freed up for fleet vehicles to make the essential journeys that they have to make and the deliveries that they have to make. And then that means that the congestion is alleviated by people being mindful of their journey choices. Often they're a default get in the car, but they didn't even know that other choices were available to yeah. them. So it's a huge responsibility for city planners. I love that. I love that. And it's so multi-layered because it's, it is about, you, you know, it's what's interesting is we can assume you're quite right. because You're saying, let's just replace, um, you know, petrol or old hat ways of doing things with this new electronic way of, of traveling or, or, or vice versa. However, people will naturally then think that that's going to be the change that's going to, that's all we need to do. But actually, right, the mindful piece, the congest, the actual how we do it in a really smart way, because we're not really improving what we do, are we? We would just then be, okay, lowering the, the, the carbon p- footprint and hitting ideally some very, you know, very important targets. But there's no, it's not smart. <laughs> we're just doing exactly the same as before. And I love the mindful piece you say there in terms of, well, it's not just about the, the tech side, it's also about how we choose to utilize that and, and how we choose to be mindful about what we're doing. I love it. And the fact that you've chosen as an individual human to live in that city and that that city can work for you. It gets even more complicated, though, when you look at the rural piece. Is it okay that there isn't a connected transport method for somebody who has, yes, chosen to live rurally, but that is their choice and that's okay. But it does mean that you have to travel to the nearest interconnection place. And that's usually done by car for reasons of safety or concerns around narrow national speed limit lanes. So I understand that. So what I really, really want to see is people having their attention drawn to fantastic schemes like Plymouth City Council who are working hard on the mobility hub concept where, yes, you need to drive, but you can leave your car here and hop onto an e-mobility solution. The fact that cities are really keen to ensure that the data connectivity is strong so that you can utilise the app-based planning system. And then if you think carefully again about people who live in cities and that, that benefits piece, we know from looking at our partners in global countries where you've got a shopping centre and the landlords of old would say we need a huge car park to support this shopping centre. There was a fantastic study, which is a few years old now, but still valid, called Going Dutch. <laughs> and it compares the cost spent in that shopping centre for pedestrians, mm. cyclists and car drivers. And it showed that over a period of time, perhaps one to three years, the people who walked or cycled near to that shopping centre spent more. Now, this is because, 
Yes, and that, yeah. I, I've never let that fact go. And it's nothing it's to do with no credit for me. <laughs> it's just a fascinating fact. And it's because if you think you're actually maneuvering through the shopping centre, so you're more likely to see something in a window or want to stop or stop and chat, and then your eye is drawn, or you'll want to eat, or you'll drink a coffee. So over the space of the year, that's fine. And also, you can still carry some goods, whereas people are, they find when they've parked a car, the subconscious subliminal pressure of knowing that every hour that goes by is going to cost them more is actually mm. a sort of psychological limiter to staying in the car park. That's and really town shopping. It's amazing psychology behind every transport plan. And, but great for buy-ins for some of the larger shopping spaces and infrastructures to, to say you, need, you can support you can su- support the smart city builder growth into this space because these are the stats around people actually well, enjoying exactly. and spending more. And it gets even more exciting when you overlay that potential profit by unlocking that, by providing cycle spaces, providing safe places for people to access the shopping centre. If you then think about the swathes of car park space that they already had and more spaces will become available through this move, um, you can then make that space work as an asset to sweat for you as well. Because if you overlay that with destination charging to unlock the people who can't charge at home when they've got an electric vehicle, they, on the flip side, are more inclined to stay for that three to four hours because they would quite like their battery to be refilled whilst they enjoy the delights of the out-of-town shopping centre or equivalent. So it starts to make that square parcel of land that you have allocated as parking to be an asset that you can plan almost consistently to see what return profit you can expect. So people like Just Park are really working hard to help with the issue we've got in the UK which is that not everybody if they want an electric vehicle can charge at home and we at Elmtronics and Hubs to totally get that and we want people to look at destination parking and charging as an option a viable option especially as we see the battery capacity and range of these vehicles increasing and the cost of ownership coming down whether you lease or buy so it means that just because you can't charge at home doesn't mean that you can't have an electric car you know that's something that we've looked at a couple of years ago and every month more and more public charging pops up and so we're seeing this surge of interest particularly over social media where somebody has spotted someone else in a service area at the motorway where Gridserve have just swept through the nation, taking Mm. over from the electric highway. And it's starting to encourage that lovely community spirit and feel where you can talk to one another and say, what's this? How does it work? And I don't think there's an electric vehicle driver out there that doesn't want to do that. And it's the same when scooters came into cities. What is it? How does it work? Can I have a go? Um, And I feel like if you overlay all of that with communication and apps and push notifications, the consumer choice element will just naturally open up. It won't feel like a default to take the car, even if it's electric. You'll start to think as a family, would this be better on a hydrogen bus or an electric bus? Or would we be able to walk and then scoot? Or perhaps we drive a bit and then hop onto another mode of transport. It's nice to think that transport is becoming fun again without the guilt of the cloud, literal cloud above our head. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's just fascinating. I think there is the, the, there's definitely the education piece, isn't there? People to, you know, they're having one single minded view of where they are and where we're going and how that impacts them to offering the solutions and the community and the, the information around that to help support them too. So how far I, this all sounds so cool and so exciting. And um, but one of the things that does cross my mind is, you know, how are we going to how where are we now and how do we see ourselves getting there? And what are some of the biggest hurdles you think that we need to get past? Mm, thank you. I know it's always so easy to talk about the good stuff and forget to acknowledge the harder things. I think with anything to do with 
connectivity and AI and artificial intelligence, there needs to be an element of protection for the consumer because everything I just described that sounds so wonderful is actually going to require a lot of data and privacy whereby you can be tracked and everybody knows where you're going. And at the moment, there's very limited uh, protection around sale of that data to then further influence your behavior. So it's it's a nice, without being too dystopian about it or, or shunning it, because it isn't my area of expertise. It is an area of interest, admittedly, mm. but not something. There's some fantastic groups surfacing. I know there's the Milton Keynes AI group, um, which are behind the scenes, really focused on the global stage. So they're looking at other people's trials and looking at the law and the policy that's coming out of data, just to understand what it means for us as individual consumers and how we offer that consumer protection. So there's a great awareness of what data is being collected about you and a greater ability to opt in i don't know if you've noticed but when you use your smartphone now nearly every website says are you okay with cookies no one even knew what cookies were before so one of the biggest problems to overcome is being really open and clear about what data is being taken about you and allowing the opportunity to opt in or opt out and i think that will give us a greater consumer confidence that this is for the greater good it's not a sort of Let's take all your data and profit from it without you knowing. It's about collaboration and consent. I agree. And we also need to take a moment to think about what we are doing when we quickly press. Yes, okay. I'm just about to do something. Yes, okay. I agree. Just, I don't mind cookies. It's like, well, what am I actually giving my data away for? I mean, there needs to be an element of transparency in order for us to build something like an infrastructure where we're looking to get to. But I think people need to create an awareness around what they are doing and why, and then also where we are heading and how that will impact them and how they can get involved with the conversation and how they can change how they do things too, right? Yes. And I think it's because I love to talk about car parks, aren't I fun? (laughs) I like to think about the study called Going Dutch all those years ago versus shopping centres now and the death of the high street and then the reinvigoration of the high street with smaller market towns and seeing, you know, shops coming back and it's lovely to see market traders coming forward as as a high street name. But I'm thinking more carefully now about that psychological element whereby you're shopping and you know that your hour is nearly up. So you, you quit and you run and you pay your ticket one minute before it becomes the next hour. I would love it if it's an all-you-can-eat style parking situation where it's just minute by minute. doesn't matter which minute you go back to the car park on. That's how EV charging works, of course, as we know. Mm-hmm. So you only pay for the precise volume of electricity that you draw. And so that means that, you know, you might answer one more text message and let it charge just for that extra 30 seconds or so. It should be like that for parking. Yeah, Not I love car that. Parkings. should know precisely through GPS on your phone, it's there, when I arrived... And how much electrical charge I've drawn from the machine. And then off I pop to have a lovely time and come back. And all I pay for is exactly what I've used. Otherwise, I'm going to be looking at my watch the whole time. I bet you I'd end up staying for longer and paying more. Yeah, definitely. Because it's really interesting because there is the psychology behind thinking, okay, I'm here. It's now been an hour. I have an hour and a half left. Maybe I can dash the boots and get a sandwich and then I'll go back. And Or I need to... Or often, you know, in the in the working environment, you you, you hear just got to go and do something in the car, and like and and actually, you know, when we when we know the tech is available to do that, and obviously, obviously, there's there's a the space that you guys are creating with that, but I think then there's the fact that if we put as much energy into social media and tracking how our follow, you know, all of our things in there, but putting it to to good use for us to be moving forwards with, you know, I think that would also help us along the way a little bit. <laughs> it's, it's very true. The future is definitely bright. And that's why the micro mobility piece, which 
is so popular has been because your flexibility as a user is to go door to door. Most of the time you can take that e-scooter from one position to the other. Um, obviously, in some cities, they've adopted a more rigorous way of parking them to avoid sort of street furniture clutter, which is really good for inclusivity. There's nothing worse than you know a pushchair, a wheelchair or even somebody laden with shopping to not be able to move through the pavement that was designed for them because it's mm. now covered in e-scooters. But I'm seeing a real nice kind of shift where people are accepting of that they're not seeing it as a throwaway opportunity they they want to work with the city to make sure that that asset stays available to them because it's just opened up such great possibilities to leave the car at home and let fleet vehicles utilize vehicles and um, move around the city freely and quickly and more efficiently because even though it's electricity in the battery it's actually still going to be need to be fueled and that's why every smart city needs to be underpinned by good data data security good town and city planning but also renewable energy at every opportunity every building needs to have that telemetry but also the ability to generate and store its own electricity just to bring the whole carbon footprint down of the whole business i love that well what a positive note to end our chat on it's been so interesting and just as interesting as i thought it would be thank you so much for your time my pleasure entirely thank you for having me on john thank you You've been listening to The Tech London Show. If you're interested in joining the community or even making an appearance on this show, make sure you join our Slack group over at techlondon.io. Till next time.